That's right. You can make some noise if you want to. That's totally fine. Um, I am, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Woo! I'm uh, excited. Thanks, Reggie. Reggie's the best hype man around for sure. Uh, if you just want to, what's that? I'm good. Uh, yeah, Reggie, if you just want to sit down front and just preach back at me, that's totally fine. Um, we're continuing on in our, in our study of the book of John, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this passage because, you know, I got to be honest, anytime I preach, I have to fight this temptation in me to be like super smart and super funny and super come up with all the right words. Um, it, like you want to come up with something that's just going to blow, blow your socks off anytime you preach. And like that is something that, that my pride says. Um, so I fight that, and I'm excited about this one because this is the, one of the most simple passages in the Bible, I think, to understanding the heart of God and what he wants for us as his believers. So I'm really excited about it. So grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. Um, I, uh, I drive a, a chick magnet. Um, it is a 2006 GMC Envoy with 167,000 miles on it. I, I know I tell you that so that you'll all be impressed. Um, uh, so when I, I have found 160,000 miles on a car means a, a lot of things have a tendency to go wrong. So this week, as I was driving home from work, um, there was some rattling, and I realized um, that my water pump was going out, which, is, uh, which stinks. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos, um, which is how you learn how to do everything now, and figured I could probably do it myself and replace the water pump. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was kind of a lot of work, more work than I had hoped and expected. So after about two hours in the bay of the car, uh, I got done, and, and you'll all be happy to know I was able to successfully change the water pump in the car. Thank you. That's the extent of my car knowledge. If I need some, uh, something else fixed on my car, I will go back to YouTube and figure out how to do that. But at the end of the day, I realized I'd had my hands in that car for like two hours. And there's stuff in the car. I don't know what it is. It's, it's oil, and there's like greases, and there's all kinds of really exciting things inside the car there. When you put your hands down in there, they get on your hands. And then you go, and you come in, and you, you wash your hands, and like, there's no soap that takes that stuff away. I don't know if you know that. If you, if you were to look at my hands today, you would see like... All in, all in my calluses and stuff, it's still got, like, some grease just stuck deep down in there. And, like, I don't know how to get it out, uh, if anybody knows how. But all I could think was, I'm, I'm going to be preaching Sunday, and I'm, my hands are going to be black from all this grease in the car. And then I realized that's a pretty good segue into this passage specifically, because if I just had the right soap to get it off, if I could just get it clean, then it would be enough. Like that would be, but I didn't have the right soap. I didn't have the right cleaner. I didn't have the right Gojo, orange, whatever you is to scrub, get that stuff off your hands. So I get to live with the, uh, the scars of my, uh, my car work this week until, I guess, until my skin grows out. I don't know how that works. John chapter 13, verse 1 um, Kevin spoke on this last week and did a, a beautiful job, and I'm going to read it because it is important in understanding this passage as we get into it. Um, John 13, 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, 
he loved them to the end. Now we keep going. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So let's, let's stop there for just a second and understand where we are here. So we are getting ready to celebrate Passover together. Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're preparing for that. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Um, Judas had already decided, the, the, the devil had already put in his heart, that he was going to betray Jesus. So we find ourselves in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples, along with Judas, the betrayer, the one who is going to sell out Jesus to the authorities. And that's, that's kind of where we find them here. And it says that in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. This is an important turning point in the book of John. Up to this point in John, we have found all of these signs of Jesus and his, um, his messianic credentials. We have seen all of the miracles that have, done, that have happened in order for us to know that Jesus was the Messiah. That's where we find ourselves in this passage. So this is kind of a turning point in this book. So who, what are the signs that we have seen? There are a lot of them, but if you look at them all, they were Jesus turning the water into the wine. Jesus healing the official son. We see him healing the paralytic at Bethesda. We see him feeding the 5,000. We see him walking on water, and we see him healing the blind man. And we see him just a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, healing, raising Lazarus back to life from death. These are, if you take those all together, you see that Jesus has established that he has control and authority over all of the areas of life that would have a touch in the people's lives here to prove that he was the Messiah. By, by turning the water into the wine, he showed that he had control over the physical. Oh, by, by healing the official son and the paralytic at Bethesda, and by healing the blind man, we see that he had power over disease. He had, he had power over healing. We see that when he fed the 5,000, he has control over all matter. Think about that. Jesus takes a little bit of food here and turns it into enough for 5,000 people. That's an incredible miracle. And then finally here, when we see him raising Lazarus, we see that Jesus has established that he has control over death itself. So when Jesus comes here at this time, and it says, he knew that the Father had given everything into, into his hands, that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. We're not talking about a timing situation. We're talking about a positional reality that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he has established that he has the authority on this earth. That is where he sits with his disciples, getting ready to, to practice Passover together. Jesus is the authority and has the authority, which is what makes this next part so interesting. So in verse 4, it says this, so, so stop there for a second. That's an important word because we've just established that Jesus has all of this authority as God on this earth, and it says, so, that means 
not in spite of his authority, not in spite of him being the Messiah, not in spite of all of the power, all of the glory that he has displayed on this earth, not in spite of that, that's not what motivates, that's not, he's not putting all that aside so that he can do this. It's saying, so, because of his authority, because he is the Messiah, he does what comes next. In verse 4, it says, so, he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Creator God, who was with God at the beginning when all things were created, puts off his robe, ties a towel around his waist, and gets ready to wash his disciples' feet. This is a unique story in all recorded history that I, can, that I can find. I haven't studied all of it, but I've studied enough of it to know. There's no other recorded anything anywhere, whether in the Judaic tradition or Greco-Roman histories, that show any time where an authority would do this, would humble himself and wash the feet of his disciples. It, would, it never happened. This, this is the first instance of this. Jesus the Messiah stopped to wash his feet. Why is this important? Feet washing was not something that you just did. So let me set the stage. The way that you would eat in, in those times where you would be a table here, and you would recline around the table. So you didn't get chairs and sit like this, and then everybody comes around. And it, the way that it would work is you would generally lean on a cushion. You would put your left hand up on the table, and then you would eat with your right hand. Your feet would be behind you, out behind you. So the person who was washing the feet would be able to inconspicuously get his basin of water and walk around the outside of the circle. You could continue to have your conversation with everybody around without being disturbed while your feet were being washed. And they weren't washed by, they were only washed by like the Gentile slaves that would be around. Um, they, this was not something that was uh, a place of honor. It was a place of a servant. So you have the disciples gathered around, reclining like this with their feet behind them, and Jesus takes off, of his, takes off his robe, he gets his towel, and he gets his basin. He comes to the outside of the circle, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Just that picture should stop us in our tracks. Because Jesus, the Messiah, just imagine him down, just, just down like this on his feet, just, just washing the feet of his disciples. Just stop for a second and think about that. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would he give up his position? Why would he give up his sense of everything that he has proven to do that for his disciples? It doesn't make sense to us. And, and it shouldn't make sense to us because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God would do that for us. And yet, it is an incredible picture of exactly what Jesus did for us. It's more than just a feet washing. Jesus did not... This is just a, a beautiful picture of what the gospel tells us completely. Jesus, God, who, who existed from all time and will exist for all time, who holds power over sin and death, who holds power over everything in the physical created world, who knows all 
gave that up so that he could come and cleanse us of our sins. Amen? We could stop right there and just say, understand that. That's all you need to know. Jesus, God, gave, he is willing to take off his robes, his heavenly robes, and come down here to live with us. That's enough, man. That is, that is more than enough. That's more than enough. Philippians chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages, and it says that Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Amen. That is, I mean, that's all. That's it. That's it. This passage is a beautiful, beautiful image of a fulfillment of David's prayer in Psalm, 40, in Psalm 51 that says, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me tell you this morning that Jesus came to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. He gave up. He came to earth to be in relationship with us, to be able to cleanse us from our righteousness so that we could have a right relationship with him. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing that I hope that it captures your heart. I hope that it grabs hold of you and, you, and it never lets you go. One guy at this little uh, washing party um, had a problem with it. Let's keep reading here. This is my boy Peter. Um, I understand Peter. Um, he is my spirit animal. Um, in, in verse six, six, it says this, um, Jesus came around to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you'll understand. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Now, this is an interesting passage for me because, I don't know if you know this, but uh, one th that we read Scripture through our own lenses. Uh, and I wish that John sometimes would be more, uh, he would give me more information. Because, like, I've heard this passage preached a number of times. It's like a pastor's favorite one to preach. Um, and half the time I hear it like this, where Jesus is saying, hey, dummy, you missed the boat, Peter, you're so stupid. That's the implication that they, that they say that I have heard. And other times I hear this kind of like Jesus kind of like humoring Peter. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to know how when you read this passage, how do you hear the words of Jesus when he says this to Peter? Because it tells us a lot about how we see Jesus as in our relationship with him. So if, if you have a relationship where you just think that Jesus is like this um, this God, Zeus God, who's getting ready to throw the, the thunderbolts down and smack you on the side of the head. When you hear this, what he's saying to Peter, um, you're going to be like, ooh, Jesus must be angry about this. If you, if you think that, that God is love and, that's, and, and you have this really soft view of Jesus, then you're going you're gonna to read it that way. So it's interesting because I wish that John had said, like, Jesus answered him angrily, or Jesus answered him kindly. 
Uh, I don't know what it is, but I think it's important to understand that when we're reading the scriptures, especially in something like this, we look at the words of Jesus and try really hard not to read our own biases into them. So let's read it that way. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, this is verse 6, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Now, this is a totally, this I get from Peter. I understand why Peter would be asking that question. Like we've already talked about, this did not happen in, in society. Um, the teachers and the leaders did not wash the feet of the disciples. It did not happen. So for Peter to stop and say, Jesus, what, what are you doing here? Well, are you going to wash my feet? I don't, I, I'm not comfortable with that. That's totally understandable. Is it to you? I mean, to me it is. It makes sense to me. I'm like, I, look, I, if Kevin and Reggie were like, hey, today, Chris, we're going to wash your feet. I'd be like, that's, that's all right. <laughs> we're good. You know, this is weird. Uh, Reggie, are you going to wash my feet? That's the exact same thing that I would be asking. So Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter then kind of doubles down. is like, you're never going to wash my feet. No, 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 no. You're the rabbi, you're the Messiah, you're Jesus, you're God's son. Uh, you're, yeah, I can't, no, this is, this is too weird. And then Jesus said to him, Lord, uh, I said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. There's a really, really important thing to grasp here that in verse, in verse 8, Jesus says, if you don't wash me, you have no part in me. What does that mean on the flip side of that? What do you have if Jesus does wash you? You can talk out loud, it's okay. If Jesus cleanses you, do you have a part in the family of God? Yes. The answer to that one is yes. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. If Jesus does not cleanse you of your unrighteousness, do you have part of the family of God? No. That is important to understand. What else is, does Jesus qualify this with in this passage? You can have a part in me if you do what? Nothing. There's no other qualification for being a child of God except for being cleansed by the work of Jesus on the cross. That's it. There is no qualification. There are no other things. Jesus does not say, if I wash you and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this. He does not say that. He says, if I wash you, you have a part in me. You are if you are cleansed by the work of Jesus on the cross, you have a part in the family and work of God. That should also grab hold of us. And so, G and so Peter's totally understandable, understandable reaction to that is in verse 9, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. All of me. God, if you're going to wash me, if, if, if that's what it takes, then just, just, do, just do it all. Just do it all. God, some more of you would be great. I know you did my feet, but let's go ahead. I mean, my head's dirty too. And Jesus says, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. There's an interesting transition in this verse as well, in verse 10. The word, he's been using a different word as Jesus when he's talking about washing up to this point. And it's not just like a bath. 
He's not saying, I'm going to go take a bath or Jesus is bathing like you would think I'm going to go get in the shower because I'm, I'm dirty from working outside. That's not what he's talking about. The, the word that he uses throughout this passage up until verse 10 is this kind of ceremonial ritual cleansing. Jesus is washing the feet, not just to clean the dirt off of the feet, but it is much more than that. It is a much more ceremonial, religious occurrence that Jesus is washing the feet. It is, it is a picture of what he's doing to their hearts and their lives as he's washing them. It, but in verse 10, it says, one who has bathed. And so he changes, up, he changes that word a little bit. And instead of this ritual ceremonial cleansing, now he's talking about one who has bathed like the whole the whole thing, like, I got, I, like I'm going to go get clean because I'm dirty kind of bathing. He changes that word a little bit, and it changes the meaning of it. Jesus says, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. The next thing that I want you to really understand from this passage is this. Not only if when Jesus washes you do you have a part in the body of Christ, but when Jesus does his work for us in our hearts due to what he did on Calvary, we are completely clean. It is enough. There's no more that needs to be done beyond that to make us more like him. We should not have to feel like we need to strive to be better to get more clean. I could scrub and 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 scrub on my hands and let me tell you what, eventually they're going to get clean, and then that's it. They're, they're clean. There's no more cleanliness after they're already clean. Jesus says to us here, because of what I have done when I washed you, you are completely clean. The work of God on the cross was enough. It was enough. And we get caught into this mindset that like, yes, God, I'm clean, but like, I still feel really bad about this. I still, I just need more. If I could just be a little bit better, maybe if I went to church more often. I don't read my Bible enough. Oh my goodness. I only celebrated communion three out of the four weeks last month. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Let me stop. The work of God on the cross was enough for you and enough for me to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All of it. You are clean if you know Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You are clean. In verse 12, it says, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that's what I am. So if I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. We have a really interesting um, world that we live in, um, and it's defined largely by followers. Uh, if, you, if you open up Instagram, you can see how many followers 
does, does every person have? You can look at, at, uh, at different social media accounts and see how many followers. And if you have enough followers, then maybe other people will follow you more. And then you, you also have to think about who you are following. And then my, I'm following this person, this person, the, these 170,000 people, and, but I've got 10,000 followers. And I have, I, just personally, me, I think I have 11 followers. That's, that's plenty for me. Um, but the word follower has, has changed in our minds. It, it's changed. The whole definition of what a follower is, is changed. And so I can follow like 10 churches. Does that make me a Christian? No. Uh, there's a term that was coined um, many years ago called churchianity. Uh, and there's a huge difference between churchianity and Christianity, Right? I could come to church every week. I could read my Bible every day. I could celebrate communion. I could do all the things. Heck, I could go be a missionary overseas. I could do all of these things. But if I'm not following Christ, then what am I? I'm not a follower of Christ. I may be a follower of a church. It's not the same thing, though, as following Christ. So we have to be careful when we read this and we see what he says. Wait a second. Jesus is giving us a command here and an example. I want to follow Christ. I want to be a follower of the Messiah. I want to be someone who follows in the footsteps of my Savior. Look in verse 14. It says, So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. This is a really hard command, I'll be honest with you. So I'm going to get Reggie to come up here. I'm going to wash his feet right now. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I've seen his feet, so I'm not going to do that. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. If we are churchianity followers, what do we get? We get chains. We get tied to this group of rules and regulations that says, if you're going to be a believer, this is what you need to look like. You get this rule of legalism and chains that bind us to something that says, this is what you should look like if you're going to be a believer. But what if we follow the Messiah? We have freedom. We're not bound to these rules and regulations. We are bound to the Messiah. If we are following a church or a religion, we get a status. If you want to be great in this church, then you've got to do this and this and this, and you can raise up in the ranks, and maybe one day you can be an elder. Ooh. What if we follow the Messiah? We get sacrifice. Instead of status, we trade that for sacrifice. If we're going to follow a system of rules and regulations, we're going to be thinking about what do I need to do to make myself better? And if we follow the Messiah, we're going to think, what can I do to minister to others? 
as I step into the reality of following Jesus as my Savior. If, I, if I'm looking over here and I'm following this set of rules and regulations, I'm going to get my flesh gratified because it's going to feel really good because I wear the right shirt and the right shoes and I say the right things and I go to the right events. And it, man, people are going to be like, wow, he's a really good Christian. And if I follow this Messiah over here, I might find myself on my knees with a basin of water washing people's feet. My flesh may not be fulfilled, but my spirit is going to be full. Shift over to verse 31. It's kind of the continuation of this last verse that we just read. Now, as we get to this point in the, in the chapter... Um, there's a couple of things that have happened. One is that Judas has, has hit the door. He's like, I'm out. I got to go. I got some silver that I need to gain, and I'm about to turn you over. And, uh, and Peter has also uh, about to be kind of called out. But in verse 31, um, he says this, when he had left, that's Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The, hold on, that's a lot of glory, glorified, glorification. Uh, and and I, I kind of struggled with what glory was because it's not something that we really um, talk about much in the world today. Um, but glorification and glor- God being glorified is very simple. God is holy. He is all-powerful. He has all things. All things are for him and by him. And glory is the, the presentation of God's holiness to the world. Pretty simple in my mind. That's my definition. You can use it if you want to. You can throw it away if you don't feel like it's right, and that's, that's fine. But so when Jesus said, hey, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him, Jesus is getting ready to walk to a cross. He's getting ready to be lifted up on a hill and displayed for all to see. And he's saying, this is the grace and mercy and and glory of God on display for all of you to see. And he goes on in verse 33 and says, children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I'm going, you can't come. And so I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are we to be known as believers? Is it because of our political affiliation? Is it because of how many Instagram verses we share? Is it to be because of what t-shirts we wear? Is it because of what church we attend on a Sunday morning? Is it because of the way that we like to talk about other people? Is it because we know the right praise songs or we play the right instruments? Is it because we've memorized chapters of of the Bible? Is it because of all of these things? Is it because that one time 30 years ago we said, yeah, I need to rededicate myself to the Lord at a Christian camp? Is it because we got baptized as a child even when we didn't know what it meant? Is it because every Sunday we pick up this communion cup and we say, yep, I I remember. Is that how we're known as believers? Is it because of the bumper sticker on the back of our car or the little thing that we have on our window? What is it? How are we supposed to be known as believers? 
Jesus tells you right here in verse 35. By this, loving one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I, one of the saddest and most painful things that I have experienced in all of my life is the reality of people who are broken in the church by the people of the church. It breaks my heart to know that God's people would tear each other down and hurt each other immensely. And let me tell you something, we cannot do that here. We want you to understand that God loves you and we love you too. My sister was hurt badly in the church when she was younger. It took her 20 years to come back. And I just, I I hurt for her even now. And I know story after story after story of people who have been broken by people in the church. And I just want to ask you, I just want to say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that God's people have hurt you. Because that is not the intention of Jesus. Jesus calls us to love each other with a sacrificial, never-ending love. God calls us to take off our robes, put it to the side, grab a towel, get on our hands and knees, and wash each other's feet. That is the call of God on our lives. And you know what I want to be defined by? I don't want to be defined because I, have, I can preach a good sermon. I don't want to be defined because I know the right thing to say in the right moment. I want to be defined by the fact that my knees, my jeans have stains on them because I'm too busy washing people's feet. That's what I want to be defined by because I want to look like my Savior. I want to look like my Savior. We have a lot of opportunities to love on each other in this church now and coming up. We are so excited, that, and many of the ministries that we're getting ready to partner with are opportunities for us to plug in in very real ways. I don't know if you know this, but there's a few kids that come to our church. Have you noticed that? They, every Sunday morning, it's like the locust swarm, and they come, they're coming down to the front. It's like, let's go. You know what? You know what those kids need? They need us to wash their feet. They need us to get up and go wash our feet. You know, every Sunday morning at like 6.30 in the morning, those doors open up, and this doesn't look like this just because we, we magically wish it so. People show up at 6.30 to be able to wash your feet so that you can show up here and, and, and sit down and, and worship the Lord. In just a few weeks, we're going to have a really cool event that's going to be celebrating and, and serving foster families in the area we're going to have an Easter egg hunt for, the, for foster families. And you know what? Man, what an opportunity to be able just to wash the feet of some families who need it. There are so many opportunities for us to love each other. Our small groups, man, let me tell you something. Small, small groups can get squirrely. I'm telling you, because you know why? Because there's people in small groups. Like, there's some, there's some weird people that go to small groups. Like, I'm one of them, you know? And, like, I'm probably going to say something that's going to tick somebody off, and then that's an opportunity for us to minister to each other. If you're not washing feet, what are you doing? If you're not defined by your love for each other, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Jesus loved us so much that he was willing 
We'll take off his robe. We'll put on his towel and wash our feet. So I'm going to ask you, whose feet are you washing? Whose feet do you need to be washing? Who in your life right now has got dirty feet? Who can you grab that basin and go wash their feet? It does not say, the, beauty, the beautiful thing about this is that anybody can grab a towel and wash some feet. There's no, there's no, you don't need anything more than a desire to be like your Savior. The bottom line is this. Jesus sets a new example for loving service. It's not the same thing anymore. In the old days of the priesthood, the priests would stand up in their beautiful flowing robes, and they'd have long tassels, and they would wait for the sacrifices to come to the temple, and they would make those sacrifices, and they had this position with, between the people of Israel and God. And, and God says, look, that's it. It's, it's a new way. It's a new way. It's a new covenant. It's time for us to love one another. Let's pray. God, we are in awe that you would be willing to give up everything for us who deserve nothing. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see how you want us to wash the feet of the people around us, Lord. I pray that you would work in our hearts to be able to see you more clearly and to know you more fully. Motivate us by your love for each other. Help us, Lord, to know you, to follow you, and to love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.